Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, the boys went to Pixar Animation Studios and interviewed Peter Sohn, the director of Elemental. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 267 of Real Blend, a podcast that knows it's neither the miles nor the years. It's the views and the downloads. So please <laughs> share this show with your friends, folks, because we want to get out to as many people as possible. Uh, that my lie name is Sean Connell. <laughs> yeah, I learned that this week. I learned that that's a lie. Uh, I'm the managing editor at Cinema Blend and a co-host of the Real Blend podcast. Uh, and on this week's show, even though I led with an indie joke, the boys went to Pixar Animation Studios. And I went there as well, too. All three of us went to Pixar Animation Studios. We went to Animation we. Studios. Thank you, Jake. Sometimes the, the English language eludes me. Uh, uh, and because of that, Peter Sohn, the director, joined us to talk about Elemental. And this conversation, guys, is really fantastic. He is a film geek. He recognized in us that we are film geeks. And we discuss such things as Godfather Part 2, uh, Terminator 2, and several other cool things that are referenced all the way throughout Elemental, uh, a film that you will be able to see in theaters starting today, uh, the day that you are listening to this show. Oh, actually, no, it's been in theaters for a week. I yeah, I, I'm out. getting my dates all screwed up. It came out. We had The Flash, and then that's why Elemental came out. So uh, let me introduce the boys. I'm going to start with Mr. Uh, Houston Astro himself. Jake Hamilton. And to get that joke, you got to be watching us on YouTube. Hello, Jakey. How are you? And and why wouldn't you be? Right. Exactly. Uh, sitting over in the other chair, Kev McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kev. How are you? Hi, Sean. Hello, uh, Sean and Jacob. I almost said Gabriel, uh, but Gabriel is on vacation. Gabe, Still. our producer. Must be um, nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Jeff, shout out to Jeff McCobb, who's been filling in for us and uh Shout out to Jeff as well, because he does interviews for Cinema Blend. You can check out his work as well. And if you on some interviews on CinemaBlend.com. Right. But Ryan Reynolds pronounces it pronounces it Jeff McCaw because he uh, <laughs> it's a long story. I'll tell you that story some other time. Jeff. McCaw. Wait, wait, then you have, you have to tell it right, now. What's so the story? Jeff came into the room to interview Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he flew to Japan to interview him for Detective Pikachu. Pikachu. Yeah. Detective Pikachu. And he did the whole thing where, like, he had been introduced. Jeff, I'm probably butchering this. He had been introduced as, like, Jeff McCobb to Ryan Reynolds. So then he sat down across from him and he was like, Ryan Reynolds. But then Ryan Reynolds had kind of forgotten his name. And he was like, Jeff McCobb. <laughs> 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 Even though it's Jeff McCobb, which is great. <laughs> you can clearly see by the look on his face that he is very unsure as to what my name is. But he didn't realize it till like halfway through saying the name. Yeah. Wait, I don't actually yeah. know what his name is. And Ryan, Ryan's such a good dude that like, I guarantee you, like he fully committed to saying it. And then, as you know, mentally midway through, he probably realized he didn't know. Like, I'm as not you were just sure saying, what he, it is. Uh, and I, I, I do. Do I continue to commit or do I fall off and trail off? And um, he's Canadian, Ryan, so he probably still feels bad about it. 
Yeah, yeah. He still <laughs> loses day. sleep. Yeah. yeah, he goes to bed at night and he's like, Jeff McCobb, right? Right, right, right. He, look, he, looks, he looks at Blake lively and he's like, yeah, Jeff, Jeff McCobb, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blake's yeah. like, damn it. I don't care. <laughs> Let it go. Stop it, please. Um, hello, everybody. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, head down. Give us a like and a subscribe. Leave us some comments, specifically calls to action, which I will give you at the end of this show. I have a really fun one at the end of this show. Uh, last week, I what did I ask you guys to do last week? We did the uh, you. We did was, the was Batman related. Oh, favorite Batman. Yeah, that's right. All time favorite Batman and why. So I'm looking forward to reading the comments of that one when we get to that point. But I have another fun one that we're going to get to in a minute. So go to YouTube.com backslash real blend podcast. The community is really developing over there on YouTube. We're getting a lot of comments on each episode. Some people are talking with each other, which I kind of love. We got that element working for itself on the Facebook page as well, too. We have a real blend uh, Facebook community where people interact and they share movie recommendations. I know some people were talking about the blend game and the fact that they were a little bit upset that that was going away because they used that to learn about movies that they weren't aware of. And while we will definitely continue to talk about movies that are you know, old movies, new movies, things that are uh, interesting to us. That is another place if you want to go look for a community of people who love this show and want to recommend different things. But also, like I said, the comments of the YouTube uh, YouTube section. So go over there, like us and subscribe. And if you're listening to us on your normal audio formats, thank you very much as well, too. You also have the ability to sign up for Real Blend Premium. And for Real Blend Premium, you get a newsletter of which I am sending one out to you guys uh, and an ad free version of the show. So those are your different reasons why you would want to become a premium subscriber, and and also um, you can send us emails and we will respond to them as well too. We've been getting a flood of nice emails with recommendations for the show and questions about the format and yada, yada, yada. Okay, this is a fun episode. Oh, well, we want to get right to you it. Yada, 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 over the best to... part. What's that? No, that's that's the line from Seinfeld. Oh, gotcha. Yada, 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 over the best part. We uh, <laughs> we went to Pixar. The three of us went to, out to yeah, Pixar. Yeah, we did. To Emeryville, California. Um one thing that was really nice about it, well, I, you know what? I'll lead off. I'll lead off the uh, conversation on the other side uh, about something that I truly enjoyed about our trip out there. But the main reason that we went to was to interview Pete Zone, and Pete Zone did the Good Dinosaur for Pixar, and now he has a new film called Elemental that is in theaters, not on Disney Plus. You have to go to theaters to go see it, and it's worth the trip. Um, and he sat down with us to talk about working at Pixar. Uh, showing us kind of where he does work in Pixar. Some great stories that involve our good friend, uh, Roger Deakins, and a lot of the references that he worked into Elemental. So without further ado, let's get to Pete Sone, the director of Elemental here on the Real Blend Podcast. We're the Real Blend Podcast. I'm Sean, that's Kevin and Jake, and we are just thrilled to be able to be doing this at Pixar, which yeah. is such a highlight for us. Um, but this is your workspace. Can you just kind of tell us like when you show up uh, for a given day, where you work, what what yeah. your nine to five is? And where are we right now in Pixar? Yeah, we are on the um, um, one of the West Side Conference Rooms in Pixar. You know, um, I work across the bridge there, um, but you, you work all sorts of places when you're in like different, you know, seasons of production. But what I love about this place is that uh, uh, my first year at Pixar was 23 years ago. I can't believe it was that long ago. The, when they first moved into this building, we started in Port Richmond and we moved over here. And I remember when there was like barely anything in here, Steve Jobs said, this is a brain. 
left side is for the technical, right side is for the creative, and you're like, what? And then this idea of the center hall here, this atrium, was for everyone to connect, and he had this crazy idea of like, we'll put all the bathrooms right there to force everyone to come to the center of this place for this sort of like serendipitous thing. And, and, and since I've been here, that idea is crazy that it happens, where you're like, oh my God, that one beat that you pitched the other day, and like, you know, you could be finding like breakfast or whatever, and uh, that still exists, but this is, we're on the left side, we're on the, the technical side of the building. And we're sitting here with you for a film you've directed that's coming out in theaters, and yeah, if yeah. you were to tell that person yeah. all those years ago that you'd be doing this, what would that version of you have said? Oh man, can we, uh, I, you know, like, yeah, he would have possibly crapped his pants, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, if it was a Back to the Future thing of like, look, you know, and uh, you know, I, I would have been mind blown. But uh, more than anything, you know, at the 23 years here, just, you're just growing with people, you know, and you're yeah. just seeing people like slam dunking stuff, and you know, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. You know, I uh, whenever the movie began, yeah. and it begins as all great Pixar movies yeah. do, which is the lamp. Yeah, popping. yeah, yeah. One of my first thoughts was, God, it looks great. It looks so good, the lamp. Yeah. And then I sort of paused and went, do they have to redo that every <laughs> single time? So I am curious, yeah. do animate for every Pixar movie, do the animators have to reanimate the lamp over and over again? No, but there have been milestones where they've had to re-render it to the fidelity mm -hmm. of the, the next picture, you know, and uh, you know, for this film, for Elemental, like so much of it is rendered in 4K, but they're already starting to talk about 8K, so at some point they're gonna have to re-render that lamp that was animated by Pete Doctor, our executive producer. Pete Doctor did the that original. That was his first. Yeah. Well, that's that's still his animation. Those are still the same Avars. I didn't know Pete Doctor wow. did that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's for people cool. who don't, and Pete Doctor directed Up, and he's like a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah, so, but I didn't know he yeah. did. That's wow. Because like, cool. Pete and, and Kemp did Soul together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk big picture uh, because this year has been remarkable for animation. Yeah. Uh, and all different styles of it, from yeah. Super Mario Brothers to the, what audiences are experiencing with the Spider-Verse movie and yeah. now coming up with what you guys are doing in Elemental, which yeah. is, it seems to me groundbreaking and, and truly remarkable. Yeah. But what does it mean to you to see that kind of reaction to animation features again? It feels like this is a strong wave yeah. of audiences returning back to theaters to, to see animated features. Um so crazy that I'm old enough to say that there are these cycles that happen. Sure. Mm. You know, when I started, it was just like nothing. There was only Disney when I first started, and then DreamWorks hit, and then this other cycle started coming again for 2D features. Um, you know, uh, and then you know it, it happened again sometime in the middle there. But with this last last season, um, um, I have felt this like pride because so many of the filmmakers you've worked with and you've grown up with and you're seeing their personalities and their work um, um, and the more of it that, that's out here it, it just starts to broaden uh, the audience's appetite you know yeah. like uh, something like like Spider-Verse could we have done 20 years ago could any of those like themes been tackled you know like we're talking about immigration in ours could any of this stuff happen when like Little Mermaid first hit those theaters in the 90s you sure. know and uh, and so because of that breath um, I feel like, oh, there's more point of views, and then the actual world of animation is just growing in terms of what the audience can eat. You know, like, there's always, like, anime, only that's only for Asia. Those are adult things. You can never do that here. But I just feel like 
we're getting there where it's just does it make you wonder like where's it going to be in another 20 or 30 years yeah you know like my brother always makes fun of me of like working in animation like don't you just push a button don't you just push some button and makes it all happen how have you not made him understand what you do no but I mean like with the advent of like AI everything I feel like there's some future where it's like oh right we're getting to a place where AI could not make this movie yeah yeah no not but we all think about it at some point like yeah how will this help us in, in the future, but you're always, you know, you know, it keeps widening and yeah. gets faster. And that brings me to my next question because I, 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 the whole point of our show, we created it, was to give the audiences behind the scenes yeah. and also to have them understand the process of all the artists that happen behind the camera and behind yeah. the frame of what you're seeing. Yeah. But animated films, and this is, this is not like a groundbreaking thing to say, but have cinematographers. Yes. And you have two cinematographers on this film. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering if you could just, I know it might be a loaded question to ask, if you can break down maybe how a shot operates, how yeah. lenses work in the digital yes. world, how focus works in the digital world, because yeah. it's essentially like a camera in live action. It's just yes. happening within a computer, yeah. but, it's, but you're still choosing the 35 millimeter anamorphic, all these things, I would imagine. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they're, they're the, the two pieces are, you know, um, um, of, of lighting and then layout. Those are, mm. That's how it's broken down here. And uh, David Bianchi, our layout um, head, uh, has that sort of control of what the lens is and where we're moving the camera, where J.C. Kalash, our director photographer for the lighting, is bringing all what you would think, you know. And uh, I always, you know, I'm not a technical person, but when I first got here, I always imagined, did you ever see those That's Entertainment documentaries where they would yeah. show, like, Busby Berkeley and, like, a Berkeley and the camera, like, these tanks in the 30s that would just move through yeah. and the, the dancers getting out of the way as yeah. they're moving yeah. the stage and everything like that. That is what's going on in the computer, but virtually, you know, like for every character, they're just filling it up for every set has to be built. All the lights have to be put in. They're just, there's no actual thing holding it. They're just bright, they're just showing it. Um, um, uh, but it's the same idea of, of what we all love about the movies that they're going through, you know, and, and uh, um, Wally was the first one where they really sort of uh, um, started to technically mimic what real lenses do. Interesting. Yeah, they had um, Roger Deakins come, and in this atrium here... Wait, what? Yeah, they (laughs) did these lens tests where he was behind an Airy 35 out here. Wow. They gridded out the pattern on the ground here with tape, and they just started to see, you know, what an anamorphic lens does. Like does, Roger, like Roger Deakins, yeah, right out yeah, there. Yeah, right out there. Yeah, wow. for for Andrew and and, and Wally. Andrew Stanton, yeah. Yeah, because he knew that he want, wanted to mix live action into that, and so he was trying to figure out like what the differences were. So they were dealing with, le- so they were like, so when you're saying Roger was dealing with like lens choices, again, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at with the audience here, like. You're literally in the computer picking a lens like as a person would in real yes. life. Like, like when Tarantino shoots the hateful eight on old school, like these, yes. these le- lenses from Ben Hur. Yes. It's but it's similar in a digital yeah. world wow. where you yes. can choose the style of lens to get that anamorphic look. Yeah, yes, exactly. And and there are tricks like you know, like a standard thirty-five, they can go thirty-six point two <laughs> with here. Oh, cool. um, but um um and uh, but so that sort of realism to the lenses started with that movie and then since then they've added more to the the, the packages here and wow. uh, with a film like Elemental because so much of it is fantasy we were hoping that we could push it even more you know like I really loved The Dark Knight you know I loved that experience of yeah. the IMAX yeah. and uh, 143 man that was one of the greatest yeah, and, of, and of course showcasing any of that action in that format you know it's breathtaking you Huge, know yeah. and uh, um, you know when we first started Elemental like you know people you know like it's like it's a romance thing right like why would you even go there it's like look but so much of the city is also a character in this thing yes. is there a way that we could do that and uh, um, you know 
the what an interesting challenge was like you know everyone said no no go 239 but like no I really want to get intimate with these characters and so let's do the 185 but could we take a piece of what we know of the IMAX camera and we we took the digital back of an IMAX camera and put that into a 30 classic 185 you know uh, wow. setting so meaning the the width some of the widths of our shots get a little bit wider uh, like an IMAX, but it not being an actual huh. IMAX sort of lens. Because 185 is really, for people listening, it's a taller ratio. It's, yeah. it's actually closer to the tallness of what you're referring yeah. to. Spielberg always says that 185 is the truth ratio. Yeah. It's a ratio of like what... What does he know? Yeah. Well, it's like the real... Like Fableman's was shot 185. Yeah. So it was Jaws. I think Jaws was 185. Or no, yeah. Jaws might be 239. No, that's 239. E.T. was yeah. 185. E.T. was 185, yeah. yeah. And so he would always say like the, it was like the truth the truth one, the truth yeah. aspect ratio. We told you this was a nerdy podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, those were great really inspirational movies for me like uh, uh, the idea of Empire of the Sun there was this one shot when you know young Christopher uh, um, um, to my, uh, Christian Bale Christian, Bla- yeah, yeah. Christian uh, yeah, Bale uh, was reaching out on this plane and these sparks are shooting out from this plane and this glory of this hymn going on but that one frame is like moving in on this yeah. plane I remember the sparks coming to the camera going like wait wh- how is this how is he getting this effect and uh uh, the and uh, um, the intimacy of some of those shots. Anyways, and did, didn't Lightyear go one four three? Yes. Yeah, yes, I think yes, they, they went they full one four three on that. Yeah, boy, I, I really Which is wish insane. it is. And like I, audiences didn't get a lot of it because like one nine zero is what they mostly got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like the the you know the, um, um, Top Gun had come out and it took all the premium theaters. So there was just this limited window for Lightyear to see it in that. Oh. You know, epic scale, and uh, I got the one chance to see it. And uh, oh, you did see it, one four three. Yeah, no, yeah. Did you go to City Walk? Uh, no, no, no. Here in uh, um, the Metreon here. Oh, the Metreon has the one four three. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's, it does. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. cool. You know, a lot of times whenever we interview uh, stuntmen who become directors, yeah, a question that we like to ask is like, yeah. hey, is there a particular stunt in one of these great films you've been <laughs> in that we can see that's like entirely yeah. you? Yeah. I know that you've been working at Pixar for a very yeah. long time, and and you've worked on more stuff than just the movies that you've directed. Sure. Is there a moment in a Pixar movie that you worked on that you contributed to that you, when you watch the movie maybe you didn't direct it but you can point at it and go that's me I did that thing and I'm very proud of that little small detail right there oh man oh man brag about yourself for a second man <laughs> I don't know if about the bragging but I do remember on Up like um, there was a, I got a piece of script from um, Pete and Bob of just like the house needs to lift off the ground and that's all it was. There wasn't a script. That's a big note. Yeah, yeah, but like we were, you know, they're always like this. You're working so roughly on just like, we need to get to the screen. Let's just toss ideas in there. And I remember boarding this out of this idea of like balloons coming out of the back through the chimney. Uh, they couldn't do it in the computer, but all these little details that, you know, like you're like three in the morning. Are you hand boarding this out? Like, yeah, all by drawing. Okay. I wish I could show you these. You're just like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> but you just like go down and, and so you get that idea and you start hand drawing out like storyboard. Yes. Aspect. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. And I'm meaning they're hand drawn, but they're digital. So you're just drawing on a little uh, digital um, yeah. um, display. Yeah. Wow. And uh, um, I remember... You know, if we were in a if we were in a house together that's rotating, like all of a sudden these shadows would slowly move. So you're like, oh yeah, what would happen to those shadows? And so you're just adding these details. And I remember um, pitching that to Pete and those guys. And I had this piece of music that like we're all hunched over something. And uh, I remember just seeing their eyes wide at something. That I remember feeling really proud of. Like, well, they're all connecting to these like you know mm. silly images. But I remember that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. so cool. Yeah, and then you add Jacino's score to that thing, and it's just like yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. it's all, it's all, it's all over. over. Yeah. Um, I want to get into a fun question uh, because you guys winkingly 
refer to uh, the clothing on your characters. Yes. Uh, mm. Where yes. um, Wade throws a shirt up in the air, yeah. he walks through a fence, and he catches it again. And yeah. then the characters acknowledge something I was thinking the entire time, yeah. which yeah. is why do we even have these? Yeah. Uh, is there a rule? Was there a rule book yeah. of sorts of things that yeah. caught fire uh, in Elemental yeah. City? Things that did not, and yeah. different reasons for it or choices why you did certain things. Yeah, those rules got bent here and there for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but most of it was trying to support some amount of realism, but then when emotions take over, that's when I started bending certain mm. things to support the emotion of what the characters were going. You know, uh, That moment that you're talking about, I really love, because you were talking about Cameron earlier, and that's a total homage to like one of my favorite moments in uh, Terminator. T2 oh and T1000. Really? And his hand, or yeah, the gun the goes the gun, yeah. or whatever yes. that is. And it's like, oh, they're the little details to make something feel real, even though that was all a digital character going, that little gun thing may go, this is a real, that's a real liquid man. And so there's we were, a T2 reference in Elemental. Yeah, but we were making a joke of it yeah. saying, like, why do we have these things yeah. in the city? We were talking earlier because yeah. I, I, ILM and everything, we were having yeah. a, it was a whole yeah. discussion. It was really Yeah, cool. and, uh, um, but, you know, the, the rules, you know, the whole opening of the film was meant to just set up the rules because every time we didn't do it, everyone was confused of, like, you know, like, can they die? You can know, they, go, they go to the bathroom? Yeah, like, yeah. water spills on them, do they wipe out? Oh, it just takes a chunk out of them. Oh, they can eat something and bring it back. That is hilarious. Oh, and the clothes, it's metal, you can hear the chain, but like, the water person, like, you know, like when, when he's hold, she's holding um, a, uh, like a um, um, like a brochure, shouldn't it burn up? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah, we're yeah, trying yeah. to add metal yeah. sheen to just, you know, keep you logically in the movie, in, in like, we call it like movie logic, you know, yeah. and uh, mm. try, you know, but this film has been full of times where the, you know, you, you show this to the Pixar audience and there are these notes of like, look, she, she, all I kept thinking about through that whole scene, she's holding a cardboard box. That box should be on fire. Mm. And you're like, okay, you know, like, so much of the time you're just moving fast enough to trying to go like, okay, make the box metal. Do you guys do that? Like you show it to sort of in, like in progress to get notes like that? Uh, um, 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 yeah, we show it to everyone here. One of my favorite things about this place is that you know, an idea can come from anywhere, and uh, um, um, as long as it's about plussing something. Yeah. And so we show the films to the whole studio, and mm. uh, we get a lot of notes. And uh, you filter through them, and uh, there are notes like that that come out all yeah. the time, for sure. One thing I've always found fascinating about Pixar films, obviously, is the short that plays before it. Yeah. But there's a tonal aspect that happens with that short that then leaves the audience in a certain state of emotion that yeah. then they then enter your movie yeah. from watching that. And I'm just curious, as a filmmaker, how aware you are of what short will be placed place before yeah. your film because obviously you mentioned Pete Doctor yes. this is kind of an yes. up aspect to it and, yes. and, a, and a continuation of that but I was just curious like how that affects the tone of your film and how yeah. you think about what that movie is going to leave the audience feeling before they enter your world yeah it's a great question uh, that was a much later decision meaning uh, um, I didn't know that was going to be attached. Um, um, I didn't even know they were making that short at that time. Can we say what it is? Are we allowed to? Yeah, Carl's Date. Okay, yeah, cool. for right, sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, and... and, and uh, um, it's but, a up, essentially. But yeah, but when I finally got to see it, we were still finishing our film, and I thought it was, oh, what a great um, um, connection to it because of the tone. What's ironic for me was that the first short I got to make was Partly Cloudy, which was attached to Up. And so there's oh, this weird, like, full circle wow. thing that... Oh, so now, wow. That's so your, awesome. your short is an ups. That's, that's cool. So cool. But I don't know if they did that purposely, because that was a Pete uh, decision. I had no idea. Uh, but wow. I was just like, oh, wow. You know, that was, you know, one of my favorite experiences here, making that 
the, uh, working with that team on up. But how does that make you feel that the, the emotions of the audience will be a certain way as they enter your movie based on that? Because it's, it's, an, it's, it's yeah. not just a trailer. It's a, it's a short film that yeah. literally leads right into your movie. Yeah, it was a question of, like, do we want laughs going into it or mm-hmm. do we want this sort of melancholy, you know, mm-hmm. this sort of, like, thing. And uh, um, I really appreciate it. It sort of helps us set into the, the tone. But, like, you know... Some of the, the jokes that we had uh, in the beginning of the film, film feel a little softer because you're sort of still in that other feeling. Oh. And so I, I don't exactly quite know yet, just because I haven't seen it with a full audience. Sure. The, the first time was on Thursday at the premiere with the short. And, uh, you know, it, it felt great together. But, yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll still be critical of, like, Curious. Oh, what yeah. will that affect ultimately? Because the short ends in a perfect place. Yeah. Like, yeah. It yeah. ends with yeah. enough yeah. of, like, a curiosity that you'll go, that you yeah. enter into yeah. it. It's yeah. interesting. It's actually yeah. really yeah. well done. But you yeah. guys are the first to see it in that format. Oh, interesting. Great. Yeah. Oh, cool. It played perfectly. That's cool. Yeah. Um, a great Pixar tradition is um, sprinkling a little Easter egg yeah. for what the next film is going yes. to be. And yes. oftentimes... It takes that movie coming out for us to even realize what it is. Yes. I am curious as to what the conversation is like with that next group of filmmakers. Like, hey, yeah. what's something from your movie that we can hide somewhere in ours? Like, how yeah. does it, is that like a full blown meeting where you guys have to decide? Is it a fun sort of random? Like, how does that work exactly? It starts as emails mm-hmm. and then ideas are tossed back and forth and then it goes into um, all the other departments. They start figuring out. Because the other production is still so early, not everything, it's not, not, it's not like you can get an actor and say, come over here and do this. Yeah. They're still building everything. So sometimes it's like, oh, we don't have that even ready yet, or we don't have that yet. And then it's like, oh, we do have this. And uh, Is there one in yours? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's been in trailers, so people can probably oh. find it in... Yeah, the what's, next what's, Pixar movie is in your. They, they always do that. Do you know yeah. it already? No, I don't know. So it the is. next Pixar film is Elio, and there's a, a little character from that that's in our film. Okay. And it's in the trailer out there. I I think in one of them. What's the the thing from Elemental that was in the previous film? In Lightyear, when um, um, Buzz and the team are sort of at a low point, there are some vending machines. And uh, the vending machine's like precariously about to fall off of uh, like this, you know, this destruction, this cliff edge. And there is a water bottle that says Wade Water in it. Oh, that's awesome. And at the time we were, you know, Wade, the water character, was a monster. He was very difficult to, to, to build and to work through, oh, yeah. throughout this entire thing. And so they were looking for a Wade thing and they were like, we don't have him ready yet. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a, here's a fake graphic here's image. a water bottle. <laughs> a water bottle. Wow. Yeah. 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 So Cause that's, that's a tough, like, but Lightyear and Elemental are, it's, that's a tough movie to try to figure out like, how do we find yeah. something yeah. that fits in one and the other. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's like, like perpetuating the Pixar theory or not, but it's it's always like this Easter egg going like no, but they belong in the same world. And it's like yeah, does yeah. it? You know, and so, so so like all the Pixar, it's not like a Pixar cinematic universe where they're all in the exact same. Some people believe in it, some yeah. people don't. At one point, because yeah. Boo holds uh, a Nemo toy. At yeah. one point, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think Andy on his wall in Toy Story Three has a postcard from Carl. <laughs> right. So, like, so there is there yeah, is the, the argument yeah, to be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to build on another Pixar tradition, which was so amusing in the early years, yeah. um, which is. Pixar babies that get listed yes. in the credits. Yes. Because this movie deals with um, taking over the family business yeah. and following in your parents' footsteps, are you aware of Pixar children who have come up and joined the ranks? Yes. I don't know their names, but I've heard of, uh, not in the ranks, I've seen, I heard some babies that became kids that were voices. Oh, really? Oh. There, but I haven't heard of like an actual like production like job just yet. Gotcha. Uh, but that, I'm sure, has happened real soon. You know? Sure, because the legacy of this studio has yeah. been around yeah. for so yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. You would assume, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. A little nepotism. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Easter egg world is such a crazy thing because sometimes the, the crews will just add something that you didn't even know. Like there's a character from Up that they made into a grass version, Earthward, that they threw in the movie. I'm not sure where it is. It's your movie. Yeah, and I've seen every frame and they go, it's in there. And I'm like, you know, I've seen the film countless times and I'm still hunting. But like, they'll throw their own Easter eggs in oh, that's you know, awesome. all the time. You know, it's, it's a really funny tradition. You know, Thomas Newman, we talked about earlier, yes. did your score. Um, yes. Iconic composer. This is a question I ask a lot, but I, I find it interesting because scores, you mentioned The Dark Knight, for example. Yeah. The Dark Knight was one of the first movies where I felt like in my in my awareness was like Chris Nolan's using a score as a leading character. Yeah, and right. And scores have always been important. And obviously, you think about the classic movies, yeah. but that was the first time I really took notice to the idea. I remember of the Zimmer. same thing. You know what I'm saying? About. It was like there was a track called "Aggressive Expansion." Yes, yes. He had done that. Aggressive like really expansion. felt. Yeah. yeah, that really felt like a. Oh, this is some it's, sort of like motif. It's that like atmospheric. Yeah, part yeah, of the world. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I wanted to ask you. Like in terms of like directing a film when you're dealing with your actors, yeah. because scores do feel like characters. Characters, yes. do you, are your conversations with Thomas Newman similar to your conversations with your actors? Because the thematics and the tone of it need to match everything. Yes, um, um, they do. Yeah, your insight. Well, I was naive in thinking that it would be about themes. Mm. I, I remember, you know, asking Tom to see if he was interested in the movie. He watched the film in, in its rough state and he really, really loved it. And uh, before our first meeting, I was trying to. I was asking Stanton like how he works, and he gave me all this stuff of like, oh, he's all about vibes, you know. And it's like, mm. oh, I don't, I'm not sure I know what that meant. <laughs> I took that as themes. Uh, so when I first talked to him, I was just like, oh yeah, I kept thinking about Ember in this way or Wade in this way, and that some whole, somehow like their relationship would have some sort of motif that would connect, you know, um, um, to X, Y, Z, or the city would have a motif. And he was just like, uh, he didn't operate in that way, and he mm. just kept going like, no, I'm just. I just am trying to find an energy between these moments of what the character is feeling and this. I'm like, oh. And then immediately we started having conversations in that way, as you would with a performer, about like, oh, right, this motivation of why Ember steps into this water and this bubble moment in the film of like, I remember that was one of the first pieces that he had done where it was like, you know, and his was like, all I feel about this is just trust. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we talked about with Lee about like, look, you're trusting this guy to step into death here. And, hmm. uh, um, and, but, it was the same with Thomas, and that he, would, and then he would play music that just felt like trust. And you're like, whoa! How did you do that? How do you capture this, that feeling wow. in that way? Yeah. Is that? I mean, that'd be a big thing for you to be able to have him score your film like that. I mean, like that must. Have yeah. Been oh my God! I was sweating bricks like, every <laughs> meeting with this guy because I had so much respect for yeah. him, uh, I, and I would couch my conversations like. Tom, I'm coming from a place of like extreme fandom here. Yeah. Like so many. The fact know, that you can call him Tom is pretty awesome. <laughs> I did not in the beginning. <laughs> just, you know, I was very respectful, Mr. Newman, you know. Uh, uh, and I should be more respectful now, but I just mean, you know, like so much of the score I, of his work I used as temporary score for the film. What? Yeah. Can I? This is something fascinating yeah. I, want, I want our audience to understand. Like filmmakers put temp scores on these yeah. movies. And what's interesting about it is you probably get attached to the way the temp yeah. score helps you feel in that moment. Can you talk yes. about some of the classic Toy Story themes or the classic uh, yeah. Pixar themes you use as yes. temp? Yeah, there was um, music from Aaron Brockovich that Tom had done. Really? <laughs> yeah, that we used for a couple moments. There's uh, moments from... Uh, um, um, exotic marigold that he had done that sort of set up our family in the beginning. There were pieces from Little Women that he had done. Wow. Uh, there were there were there were so many. Did you wrote to perdition? 
Thomas uh, Newman? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. That is, yeah, Shawshank. There was, there were so many um, pieces, but uh, more than anything, we were just trying to find culture. What I meant was that, like, we didn't want to appropriate Indian culture or, like, Asian mm-hmm. or, like, Hispanic culture. And so we were asking, like, Tom, like, a big challenge of this film is to try to create something uniquely fire or uniquely water or, or something unique for the city. And uh, um, that was a huge conundrum from the beginning. And uh, so he just started taking instruments from disparate parts of the world and trying to find something on its own sort of life that, uh, for me, felt, like, really unique for Tom to do. It wasn't an Indian score for Marigold. It yeah. wasn't an L.A. thing for Aaron Brockovich or like this sort of mm. 1930s era vibe for Shawshank. He found this thing that really felt tied to the Was there, Is there a city that you kind of thought about with Element City? Is there something that you wanted it to mirror? Yeah, uh, I mean, like, it first started off just my upbringing in New York, for sure. All the Gordon Willis beautiful photography of Manhattan or the Woody Allen movies or, mm. or, or um, 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 Spike Lee's sort of, like, you know, neighborhoods from his films, yeah. you know, that I remember growing up with. But uh, um, that's just how it started. But the more we understood Ember and her family's journey, it was just like, what would be the most toughest for a fire? And uh, it's like, okay, water. Let's, what, what are the towns with the water infrastructure? Right. And then so you started looking at those types of cities, you know. And then, like, you know, the city's also about immigration. What do the port cities look like? What did, you know, yeah. Baltimore? What did uh, San Francisco? Why is yeah. Angel Island? Why did they move people there? What is Ellis Island and all of that? And then... Mm. You know, The Godfather 2, anytime I watch that movie, like, I cry because of my dad and his journey to this country. And there's this beautiful shot of, like, little Vito sitting in a chair with this, in, you know, Ellis Island, with this reflection of the Statue of Liberty yeah. back there that I'm just, like, reduced to tears at the beauty of, like, what they were doing in there because I think about my parents. Because I didn't. I was, I was born in New York. I had no idea sure, what that right. kind of journey exactly. was. Yeah. And trying to capture that, you just go like, oh, what makes a city iconic? They had the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, they, we, the, what is Grand Central Station? You know, what is the St. Louis Arch? You know, why, wh- what makes those things memorable? And right. you're looking at romantic movies too. The difference of like Moonstruck or Amelie. You know, Jeannot's mm-hmm. version of like Paris. Like I was watching that and if you look at the credits, it's like there's so many effects artists. I'm like, what effects artist was in Amelie? Right. Mm. And uh, they spent so much money cleaning up Paris, yeah. oh. wiping out graffiti yeah. right, right, to create like a postcard look that we were trying to understand and build into that. Have you seen that video of Wall Street where like it's a shot, but it's, there's so many VFX yeah, in the yeah. shot that Scorsese oh, did, yeah, yeah, like yeah. on a special boat effects, or something? You can't tell. Yeah, yeah, it was just unbelievable. I was yeah. I, like, I always found that to be fascinating. Like when you look at a movie and you go, "There's VFX in that shot." Right, yeah. right, exactly. So, are you showing this? Uh, okay, before yeah. we lose you, because yeah. we feel like this is cool. You've got a pretty good idea of what makes great Pixar characters. Right on. We feel like you know. <laughs> um, we have uh, an amazing fan of Real Blend. Yeah. Who uh, just animated Juan us. Carlos Espinosa. Yes, is who is name. an yeah. incredible guy, a big <laughs> fan of the show, and he just sent us animated versions of ourselves. <laughs> what? And we kind of want to get your thoughts okay. on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You might as well have, have a Pixar. Oh, man. Are you <laughs> kidding? Kevin, that's myself, that's Sean, and then that's our producer, producer Gabe. Gabe. Oh, my yeah. God. That is so, so, so awesome. So what do you think? <laughs> I would say your eyes are bluer than this, just to say. (laughs) And it annoys us to no end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love love the idea of the looks with each other. Like, I don't know. Are you always looking to the side? Are you? I I think that was so. The first way he's like a fatherly figure. It it was. It was like one of those um, floating head type posters. The floating head. So I think I was at the top and giving like a overlooking the whole thing. Because he's a dad. He has two kids. And like, and so, and neither neither of us have children, so it's just. 
And then the that is so awesome. And I asked Wait, him, are you guys making? What are you? Is you gonna make an animated? Well, that's why I said. I said, can you please uh, give us like a, a banner one? Because I want to start like, using it on all yeah, of our yeah. socials. Like yes. now I'm making demands yes. of our yes. listeners. Yes. Like, oh, that's yeah. really nice poster. But can you do me a favor and yeah, yeah. reshape it? Just yeah. so you know, like just to get, do 30 seconds of that will take like eight years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done a Pixar version of yourself? No, the closest thing would be up. The um, the artists uh, there made fun of me by drawing me like a thumb with a hat all the time, and that was sort of the early stuff of Russell, the Asian kid in that movie, uh, and uh, that's the closest that that'll ever be, but uh, um, no, 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 nothing like that. So I guess before we go, uh, this movie's opening in theaters, yeah. and so uh, one of the things that we're very important, we're very big on the theatrical experience, yes, yes. Um, and I think a lot of people have a moment in their lives and they saw a film in a theater, and it, yeah. you know, it just kind of awakened their sense of yes. love of films. Yes. Um, as people sit in theaters and watch your movie, yeah. there are kids who are going to have that same awakening. Yeah. What was that moment for you uh, growing up, like a theater experience you had that was communal, that meant a lot to you, that kind of you think helped shape who you became as a filmmaker? There's two. One was Dumbo, and it was with, with my mom, and it wasn't an audience. It was in a public library that we saw this thing. Oh, wow. And most of the time, um, with the movies, you know, like my, my dad had a grocery store, and any time it made money, there was this little Chase Manhattan, like, bag that you would put money in, and you would take it to the bank. And uh, <laughs> um, if there was any money left over, my, mo my mother loved the movie, so she took my brother and I to the theater. And uh, she didn't understand English very well, and so anytime we sat in a theater with her, it was always us like explaining something to her, translating. And I remember seeing like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. She didn't get it, but she was just like she loved Kevin Costner. So we were just like explaining what was going on. But Dumbo in this little public, you know, this library, uh, I don't remember translating anything for her. I just remember like her being moved by this little baby mind sequence where this mom is like the trunk is cradling this baby and I remember her moving to tears. I don't remember it as a time like, oh, I gotta get into animation. I just remember like, wow. And there was a lot of movies like that, uh, that did that. The second movie I remember seeing with her in the theaters was Back to the Future. Yes. And I remember my mom vocally going like, Doc Brown takes these stopwatches talking about the dog Einstein traveling goes, it hopped over this one minute and went dit dit and then, oh no, they were, they were synchronized. And yeah. then and yeah. after he traveled back, it went over, and I remember my mom going, oh! Like, I remember, like, holy cow, this movie it visually translated, yeah. what this car was doing. Yeah. Wow. Which, like, uh, just using English is very difficult yeah. to yeah. do. And then, like, when she, you know, saw Marty meet her mother at, at his age, like, I remember the joy and sharing, like, laughter with her with something as fantastical as this and a whole theater and that weird chemistry that drives so much of us of like, oh my God, we're all, this, this memory's being made right now as we're laughing all together and whatever chemistry that is, mm. I just remember like, oh my God, I could share this with my mom, you know, in that way. But I, I remember that for sure. It's universal. Wow. It's yeah, universal. we have a phrase we use that, that uh, movies don't change, you change. Yeah, actually. yeah, totally. Because uh, it's, you know, you, and mine is like a Pixar example. That yeah. The first time I saw uh, Finding Nemo, yeah. I was not uh, a parent. You right. know, I was a I was a film reviewer, and I reviewed it as oh, this is really entertaining, and this. Yeah, yeah. And then between the time I was in theaters and the time it came to home video, my wife and I found out we were going to have a child. Oh wow! And then the second time I watched it, exact same movie. Yeah. But I was like, you got to be kidding. This is a whole nother oh, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. I'm now on awesome. another level, basically. Yeah, that's so, so awesome. So yeah. we love hearing yeah. stories about that, like these yeah. influences uh, yeah. Yeah. in filmmakers that we get a chance to talk to. Peter, we're so happy to have you on the show. It's been an honor, it's man. Yeah. It's been an honor for yeah. me. You this guys. is really this is great. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Sincerely, the, 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 the tribal movie love is for real, and uh, 
it, it's just a real special thing. Thank you. Thank you. We want to get you. We want to get you back on and go through more of the nuts and bolts yeah. of things. Yeah, anytime you want to come on, yeah. we'd love to have you. Sure. Co-host yeah. with yeah. us yeah. one day, man. Yeah. 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 That'd be awesome. Thank you. Guys. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We want to thank our good friends at Disney and, of course, our good friends at Pixar for having us all the way out to their facility uh, and to be able to talk to Pete there at, at the facility about Elemental. And we went on a tour of the facility, which was fantastic. And we did this amazing glass blowing exhibit, which if you've seen the film, you'll understand why that's a relevant thing. But I've never blown glass before before. And that was really cool. Hopefully they'll send me the flower uh, that we got. But one thing I want to talk about, which was truly special for this junket is that the three of us haven't been in a uh, strange city in a really long time. And it worked out to the fact that the three of us were able to see the movie in our own markets, which gave us a free night when we landed in San Francisco. And I can't stress to you guys, because you guys listening to this show understand uh, junkets and how much travel we do, how nice it is to have a night before the junket to just chill out and have a dinner and relax because normally what happens is we land in whatever city that we're going to we rush to the hotel we check in and we are immediately turning around and getting on a shuttle bus to go to whatever screening sometimes two screenings back to back of the things that we're doing the interviews for and then we quickly assemble our questions and we go to the junk of the next day i don't know about you guys but having that night beforehand we didn't even go go we didn't go into san francisco we stayed in the hotel and we had dinner and it was one of the most relaxing and enjoyable evenings I think I've had in a really, really long time. I put a lot of stake in that. I, I really valued that time. Yeah. And Sean hits on a point like, you know, the whole idea of our show now is we're trying to give you a backstage idea of how this this world works. And because we we, we are aware of how limited this this environment is that we work within like we're very uh we've all worked very hard to get to where we are and and you know paid our dues but it, we're you know we're, we're lucky to be able to actually have these experiences but sean is right the majority of the time and especially for me from a dc perspective when i fly out to interview jim carrey for like a sonic movie that's a four-minute interview 
the that trip takes a you know a six hour five and a half hour flight from dc to la i land usually i land like a three o'clock in the afternoon rush to the hotel get there by 4 4 30 get on a shuttle at 5 5 30 for the screening go to the screening at seven come back go write your questions wake up the next day do the interview and fly home generally i'm on the ground in la for 21 hours yeah, um, if, that, and, and if that if that and so Sean hits on a point because I didn't even think about it like this. The rarity, the rare aspect of being able to like land and not have the movie to go to, which again, we're not complaining. We're, we're very happy to do what we do, but Absolutely. it was a relaxing thing. Now this became a real blend trip as well, because and that's kind of the new format of our show is we're kind of taking you behind the scenes of how we do things. And so Sean, Jake and I usually do these like, you know, geek out dinners and Jake and I'll uh, get into that a little later in the, in the show about uh, how that played out with Harrison Ford a couple of days ago. Um, but in terms of elemental, it was just cool because real blend was given the opportunity. We were all there for like Jake and I were there for our television shows. But the cool thing about Real Blend is that we get to combine both. So like when we did Tom Hanks for our show uh, back for Elvis last May, Jake and I were there on behalf of our morning shows talking to the cast. And then we got a 30 minute sit down with Tom Hanks because of Real Blend. And so the idea of all of us three being there together and then having this dinner, it was kind of like a geek out dinner. Um, but we were just laughing so hard. It'd been a long time since we all three had been physically in the same space. Um, and I think, you know, when the, in, in the interview you just heard, like, and that's kind of what we're going to dive into is it was just such a special thing to be on that campus in that, in that building. And, and also, you know, to be able to have, you know, the ability to be together physically in a room, sitting there talking to a filmmaker who liked our stuff and likes our, 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 our show and what we do. And we're just sitting there in this building where so many Pixar memories have been made and our little show that we started in 2018 or whatever, um, has this ability to get 30 minutes with a filmmaker who has a massive Pixar film hitting theaters. So yeah, it's a really cool thing. And then this dinner that Sean's talking about, you know, it's, it's dinners like that that also help the show because our show is based on our friendship, right? I mean, we're friends who got together based on our love of movies and meeting at press junkets and decided that we all three blended together, no pun intended, and we had a we had the ability to make a show together. <laughs> Ouch. And, but but in all honesty, it really is kind of a cool, a cool thing um, to think about. So it, it, that's that's what I took away from it. Yeah. Well, I think we also, too, we you know, we, we talk so often about how interviews are so much better in person, you know, because of the pandemic. We've sort of been in, in this hybrid world where we do a lot of interviews via Zoom from our home. And then that's fine, because quite honestly, like there are not a lot of projects that are worth me doing an eight hour round trip to L.A. to talk with an actor for, for four minutes. But the interviews are better in person. But that's not the only thing, like not to sound like a like a fucking hallmark card or whatever but like friendship is better in person mm. the three of us the four of us see each other via zoom every week yeah. but there's absolutely nothing that can come close to or capture what happened with us sitting at that table in san francisco you just can't you can't do that via zoom and not we just that crying, too but crying laughing crying like crying laughing like i haven't laughed up- that hard in- Picking up cues in an interview, I think we've gotten good at doing it over Zoom. But in the moment, like when mm-hmm. we are in a conversation, it's it, I don't feel anything like that until we're doing it in person. Um, and with Pete to talk about Pete for a minute, 
when we sat down with him, um, he kind of again, the Jake talks about this a lot of times where if the person gets us all individually and then we come into a room as a threesome and then they sort of look at us like, oh, all right. You know, this makes sense. I totally get where you're coming from, because we the all ask spe- specific things about the movie. And then he shares right off the bat this thing about how he had friends in high school who they kind of, you know, went off on their own, talked about film incessantly. And he goes, I'm getting that vibe off of you guys, which we didn't have to break the ice with him. He knew exactly where we were coming from and he was able to sort of dial into how much we cared about the process and how much we cared about, you know, him telling us where his office is at Pixar or showing us in the lobby, you know, right below us where Deacons was, you know, testing out lenses to use uh, on different Pixar features. Yeah, this and, really um, is an interview where if you're if you're just listening to the audio, like if you get the chance, check it out on YouTube because we got video with him and not just video, but like video of him in front of the Pixar atrium. Like this is a this is a YouTube moment if you get the chance. Absolutely. Yeah, and he explains the the idea of the brain, um, which Jake and I were talking about as well. Like the place that we're recording this interview is the centerpiece of the campus at Emeryville, California, Pixar. I think what's called the Steve Jobs Building. Yeah. Right. Um, and the last time I was there, and I think Jake was there and I think Sean was there, I believe, was Monsters University um, about 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, uh, where we interviewed like Billy Crystal and the cast in the same rooms that we were talking to the cast for Elemental, but we hadn't physically been to the Pixar space in a long time. But what, what struck me is we spent a lot of our day in the middle of that of that building, like waiting for our interviews. And like, you know, if you're not familiar with how junkets work, they're you know, a bunch of different journalists are, you know, are at this particular meeting place and then they're telling us when to go up to this room or that room or this interview or that interview or real blend. You guys are coming up in 10 minutes. So can you guys make your way up to the rooms? But when he's telling the Roger Deakins story, um, because it's so it's so funny that that he talked about that, because I remember seeing Wally for the first time, which is directed by Andrew Stanton, my favorite Pixar film uh, to date. And there was something that struck me and I never understood what struck me about it. I just knew that I loved it. I loved the silent aspects of it. I loved, you know, what it did for old school Hollywood. But it was it was a quiet film. Like it was like the opening. I think has like no dialogue for a very long period of time. Um, but there was a ben cinematic Burt, nature just ben to that. Burt, the guy who does the sound effects for Star Wars contributed right. all that and, dialogue for Wally. And that's cool. And and so one of the things that I found interesting about it was the the Roger Deakins aspect of it, because Wally felt more cinematic. And I, I, I don't I don't want to use that term not to say that other Pixar films weren't cinematic, but the way Peter explains it in the interview about the way they were testing lenses, because people don't truly understand. I, at least I don't I don't know that a lot of people truly understand that there's a camera being operated within the digital world and they're choosing lenses and and different ways that they play with the cameras, just like they do in real life. It's just Dude, in a digital environment. When I told um, people I was going to Pixar to interview the director of Elemental, I've had more than one person say to me, do you mean animated films have directors <laughs> like they right. didn't even understand that bit of it? So I totally yeah. understand where you're getting at. And that's what Peter's talking about in the, in, in the interview as well. Like I remember Brad Bird uh, for Incredibles 2. They're cinematographers on these movies because they're basically they're within a world of the computer. They can choose 
the camera, the lenses, the movement, the focus, and lighting. they can move a camera j lighting just like they do in real life. So it's 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 not that much different. Um, and so the Roger Deakins thing was cool because right below where we were doing the interview was where Deakins was testing this. Um, so the entire day that we're spending in the middle of this atrium, like drinking coffee or waiting for our interviews is where Deakins was apparently testing the idea for lenses or whatever he was doing to, to, cause I think Deacons was a consultant, right? Is that what he said? A consultant Probably. on, yeah. um, on Wally. Yeah. Um, so it's just really kind of a surreal thing to, to be sitting in that environment. Plus every one but, of us has been touched by Pixar, uh, over the years in, in, in a way, uh, emotionally touched emotionally by Pixar because every one of us has a, a tie to Pixar when we saw it for the first time, what it meant to us. And I think, it truly is amazing to have been sitting in that place <laughs> and well, that, all the cinema that that's come from there in particular um, has a special vibe to it. Like even mm -hmm. if I'm just killing time working in that lobby, I feel like I'm doing something special and yeah. they go it out of their magical. way to kind of decorate it. There is a, um, a watercolor painting that is in the cafeteria area that they swap out every once in a while. Um, I can't think of what has been there other times. This Toy time Story three to be, used to be there. Well, I want to tell about that one because currently right now it's Ratatouille right. and he is um, on top of a glass ceiling looking into a kitchen um, and you see the chefs working and he's kind of like looking at them, uh, you know, wishing that he was part of the process. But the Toy Story 3 one that Jake mentions is one that when I saw it for the very first time going to Pixar, I couldn't believe that it was there because it's the shot over the shoulder of was uh, Woody and Buzz as Andy's driving away at the end of Toy Story three. And I thought, I want to hang that in my house. <laughs> like that because is so many studios that we've been to, you know, if, if you go to director's office or producer's office or, or whatever the case may be, it's usually just framed posters, which like mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you, you know, if you've got a string of blockbuster hits over the course of your filmography, awesome. Like frame a poster that's, you know, brag about it. But the beautiful thing about Pixar, and I feel like it's reflective of, of what they are as a studio, is that they are more concerned with the artistry. And then there are like little Easter eggs all over the place that, that you almost have to keep an eye out for, you know, like little hidden things um, just around the campus, whether it be a, a hidden character on the roof of one of the buildings sort of peeking over or like a little illustrated character, you know, on the ground somewhere or mm -hmm. even, you know, in the concrete of the ground, uh, there might be, you know, a, a character sort of like chipped away in metal or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. you could probably be there for a week and still not catch all of it. And, and is, isn't that so reflective of Pixar, though? Oh, my God. There was remember we were walking from one building to the other and there was a, a woman on the sidewalk who was who was chalk drawing mm -hmm. the two main characters from Elemental. Yeah. And it looked better mm -hmm. than most animation. Can I, can I plug my seen? piece? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. Please. Well, we well, whenever we were behind the scenes, you know, one of the great things we really wanted to do was not that we weren't being in the moment, but also capture the moment, you know, like because I, I can't tell you, you, you mentioned talking to people about going to Pixar whenever I did, whenever I mentioned, hey, we're going to I kept getting like, oh, my God, like what what I never thought about that. Like, what what is it? What does it look like? And I thought, well, that's a cool opportunity for a piece. Um, so while we were there, I shot a lot of behind the scenes footage and uh, I, I edited it and put it together into a nice little piece that made air. And by the time you guys are listening to this, it will be it will be out and about. And and uh, and I think it came out. Sean, you had a chance to, to watch it a little bit it's earlier great. today. And yeah, and, it's really uh, great. It turned out really nice. I think it's a nice sort of look into uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about. 
we're, we're, we're on a text thread. And, and J- so Jake sends the video um, this morning and uh, like Sean was able to watch it. But I, my my text thre- uh, video version of that still has the circle that was like moving. And so I just checked my phone about like an hour ago and it's still loading. That's so weird. Because <laughs> well, it's, like, it's like a five and a half minute piece, um, which which if you in terms of television is a big deal. Pull this. Um, Let me see if I can pull but, this up uh, without showing our thread. All right, yeah, I also look, want to mention yeah, that there was, a, there was a time uh, during this next moment when I'm going to throw to. Uh, all right, so Jake and Kevin got to go out to Los Angeles for an overnight trip because they were going to interview Harrison Ford. And um, the, the text thread was still very, very active with multiple topics. And at one point, I knew the two of them were sitting across from each other, yet we're, we were all still communicating <laughs> in the text thread. And I wanted to yeah. say... You guys just talk to each other. (laughs) You guys are right there with each other. You just talk. We were literally sitting across from each other and we were still texting the thread as if we were in separate places. All right. So I want you guys to explain this because the Indiana Jones junket is essentially it was a three day event um, and you had the ability to do it virtual. And I think you I think you guys did some of it virtual before you even went out there. Oh, you didn't do any virtual. You didn't do anything on that one in person. All right. So, uh, Jake, you I know you debated back and forth about, you know, whether this was a trip that was going to take you out there because you had a lot of travel. You were just coming back from Pixar. You're about to go on another massive trip. But for some reason, this just wasn't one you could pass up. Yeah. I mean, you know, these days, uh, you know, we often try to predict in advance whether or not a junket is going to be in person or virtual. And I can't say we always care. There are some that are just. Hey, like, okay, like it would have been cool to do that in person, but it's virtual. It is what it is. There are some that are in person that we go. It would be great to do this virtually. I don't really <laughs> want to get on a on a plane for this. Name names. Tell us. I who. refuse. <laughs> uh, I, I specifically will not. Um, and, and just to step in for one second, what I want to clarify because Jake's not coming from a jaded perspective of like, of oh, not. I don't want to fly out because uh, I think you know one thing that we discuss sometimes as a group is that. There are things we can complain about or talk about in this job that if you said it to somebody else who didn't understand what you do, they'd be like, what is wrong with you? You have the you're you're the coolest job in the world. Why are you? There's no complaining. What Jake's referring to, though, is as we get older. I mean, I turn 40 next year. uh, Sean turns 90 next year. um, (laughs) Getting up there. Jake, you know, and Jake, Jake's 35. But but, you know, there is a you know, at least for me and for Jake, these and for Sean, like the flight and the and the time it does take a toll on your body, your physical 100%. and your mental health. And one thing the pandemic changed was the junkets moving to virtual. Now we're living in more of a hybrid world. So you are getting an invite for a junket. You know, let's say, you know, uh, like I'll give a great example. Jake and I did two junkets this week virtually that we could have gone to in person, but we couldn't go to in person because we had to be on our on our TV shows. And it was Asteroid City and Extraction 2 because we were already going to be gone for Indy and, and, and we're going to be missing that day of show. We couldn't justify to our bosses that we would also be gone Monday and Tuesday for Asteroid City and Extraction 2. My bosses were like, no, you need to be here. If you're going to be gone Wednesday, we need you here Monday, Tuesday. And so. When an invite comes up for an in-person interview or a virtual interview, it's nice to have to be able to make the decision now and say, "Okay, this is one that my station wants me to fly for. This is one that they think I should just do virtual. It's nothing to do with a jaded sense of like, oh, that person or this movie's not worth it. 
It's just a timing thing. I it's think people it's listening pure. to this show understand that if they've made it this no, far into this program. I totally get that. I just I to just be find fair, it frustrating. sometimes it's about whether or not this movie is worth it. <laughs> well, I, I sometimes mean, I this has just, nothing to do with my schedule and it's just I'm not getting on a plane for that. Well, I mean, like, for example, Come on. like, no, I mean, there, yes, there, no, there have been junkets that I've gotten that were offered in person that just didn't justify the time frame to fly out and sit there for four minutes. So, you know, we were presented with uh, the option for Indy without getting into the weeds of doing it virtually or doing it in person. And there are some junkets, some interviews that we refer to as like a legacy interview or uh, the idea of you're not junketing a film, you're junketing a franchise, you're junketing uh, a character. And, you know, look, we've we've interviewed Harrison Ford virtually. We've interviewed him in person many times. We're very fortunate that way. But there was just something about the idea of getting him one on one, one of the very few one on one interviews he did and doing it from my dining room that to me didn't feel like it was worthy. And you know what? That would have happened in the middle of a Harrison Ford interview. All of a sudden the dog starts barking and I just like right as he's about to pour his heart out. There they yeah. go. Jake, and no one's it, ever asked me that. No one's 40 ever years. asked me. <laughs> Can finally tell you. What, what, who's that dog? I lost track of thought. <laughs> and it just felt like one of those like Harrison Ford for an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I'm sorry, but like we had to be there in person. It just and you know what? One of the things we talked about was like, it doesn't matter how good the interview is. It doesn't matter how much time we get. We're just we've got to be there. And so we 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 were there. We it it was worth, you know, I think the uh, the the big debate was it was right in between two really massive trips with another Mm -hmm. trip on the horizon for Barbie. And it's just like, you know, the the us 15 years ago would have slapped ourselves for not taking this opportunity. Mm, and yeah. you know what? This is his last indie in 10 years from now. We would have kicked ourselves for not taking this opportunity. It was worth the entire flight uh, to, to do that just because I hope he does another one. You, well, you know, <laughs> well, you know just, just to dilute the effort that we put into it. Well, you know, well, the, you know, the thing is, is that like, We often talk about when you get an actor for uh, a role of his that you really love, particularly if they come back for a sequel. The benefit of that is that you get to ask all the questions that you normally attempt to try to shoehorn into the end of another interview. You know, did he answer the Boulder question? Did he answer it? Well, you know, what's interesting is my, my lead off question was uh, about what he remembers from uh, the, the opening scene. For, and I, yeah. I whenever I said the boulder. But what was interesting, said, he said, was like the boulder is not what makes that scene great. What makes that scene great and what he remembers from shooting that entire sequence is him walking through the jungle when he's not even on camera, when it's all okay. like like the reveal and him and Alfred Molina. And yeah. he said he like he still remembers Spielberg. Like, you know, because remember, it's whenever he turns around and Spielberg pushes yeah. in on his face. And that's the first yeah. time we see. He says yeah. that is what he remembers most out of that entire sequence. Not oh, the boulder, wow. which I thought was interesting. I want to also break in and say that, like, we've all interviewed Harrison Ford enough times that when when the three of us were talking questions, he is one of those people that you have to be prepared for him to play the 
I just play what's on the page, kid, yeah. you know, like and and not get sentimental, even though we've right. been hearing that he was getting sentimental on this right. indie tour. Um, and it seems like from everything I'm seeing from these rooms and from what you guys are telling me that he was open and yeah. willing to go down those roads, which is great. Yeah. No, whenever I walked in, I mean, this is this is a this is such a one two punch of who he is. I just said, man, I, I just I fucking love Indiana Jones. And he just will sit the fuck down and tell me about it. Like, and I was just like, OK, this is going to go well. But to your point, and I think, you know, one of the things we talked about and, and Kevin, and I prepared ourselves for this going in is you almost have to be prepared. And this only comes from having the privilege of interviewing him as much, much times as we have, as many times as we have. You have to be prepared to push him a little bit. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I asked him a question about. Uh, why Han Solo should die, but why Indiana Jones should live forever. Okay. And his initial response was, I feel like I'm getting ready to give you a glib answer. Okay. (laughs) And I said, and I said, Oh, I I said, I love a glib answer. And he goes, well, you'll have to come up with one. And then I go, okay. But then I kind of, we kind of laugh for a second and I go, but no, like I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to that. Like really what is, what is, and then he ended up giving me my favorite answer of the entire interview about, about why, in our minds, Indiana Jones should always be riding off into the sunset. And for that answer, folks, you can go to youtube.com backslash Jake's takes. I really got to get it edited before this thing gets posted. <laughs> yeah, and Kevin, but how was your this was, Yeah, this was really special. So uh, I, we've talked about this in the show before, so I'll, I won't go into so much detail. But Jake and I uh, met in 2010 in DC at a junket for the movie salt. And I remember meeting Jake very specifically in the theater at Regal gallery place in Chinatown. Um, I lived here, so I didn't go to like the junket events, but that was my introduction really kind of to a lot of people who do press junkets. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I was five years. I'm dying to know how this is going to trace back to Indy. (laughs) He's he's about to take you on a four hour story. That's going to (laughs) cover the 13 year journey of our friendship. (laughs) Well, no, because five, five years, pri- five years prior to Jake and I meeting, I was just doing radio stuff. So I wasn't doing television. The reason I'm telling this story is because Jake and I immediately connected. Uh, we realized that we had similar passion for what we do and similar passion for movies. Um, and I remember in 2000, it was 2011, I believe it was uh, when uh, Spielberg was releasing The Adventures of Tintin. Uh, I had done this situation where Spielberg was doing back-to-back junkets. Um, he was filming Lincoln, and Warhorse was junketing the week one weekend, and then Tintin was junketing the next weekend. And I remember Jake and I going to the Tintin junket together. We got out of the screening, and we were like, man, we should like go over our questions. We're interviewing Steven Spielberg tomorrow. This is absolutely insane. Um, and I th- I'm pretty sure, Jake, if I'm not wrong, that might have been the first official geek out dinner we ever yep, did. It I, absolutely was. Um, and so we came with this... We came up with a concept called a geek out dinner, which was basically where Jake and I would sit across from each other and pretend like we were the person we were interviewing. So in this situation, I would, you know, I would pretend he was Spielberg and I would ask him questions. The reason I'm telling this story is because that was 2011. Yesterday or two days ago, when we when we flew to Los Angeles to interview Harrison Ford, you're listening to this a week later. So that's why the time frame might sound a little strange. Jake and I continued that tradition now, think about how many years later that is, you know, 12 years later or so. And Jake and I are still doing that. And I think that just goes to show you that, you know, the old we get older, but we also still are still kids at heart. Um, I think I, and I find, you know, Jake and I were very adamant. We landed the same time. We grabbed an Uber together. 
We specifically went to our hotel, got to a dinner place, sat down at the table and did our questions. We actually did a, a pre-geek out dinner session in the Uber ride. So whoever yeah. that driver was probably heard our and questions. Are we allowed to say that Olivia Coleman was an honorary part of our geek out dinner? <laughs> yeah, Olivia Coleman was sitting to the left of us because uh, again, this, yeah, this is this is what our show is. So we'll, we'll tell you. So uh, Secret Invasion um, was junketing at the same time as Indy, and they're both Disney properties. So they were both junketing at the exact same hotel. So at any minute, you, I mean, I, I ended up working out in the gym with Boyd Holbrook the next morning, and then I ran into the Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I ran, then, and then I and then I ran into Ben Mendelsohn in the elevator, and it's funny because I interviewed Ben Mendelsohn today, and he was like, "Dude, I just saw you yesterday." Uh, in LA, why are you, why He's are you the virtual? I'm like, dude, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, the point I'm making is that like, this was very special to Jake and I, we both had virtual opportunities for this. We both chose to fly in for it. Anybody I think would. Um, and Jake and I continued a 12 year tradition. Um, we've done these for multiple films, but some of the more highlight ones that I remember specifically was Spielberg for Tintin. We did Oprah for Lee Daniels, the Butler. Uh, we did, uh, we did one for one direction when we did all the cast of one direction. Cause, uh, that was a big one and at the time. They were huge. Um, and so this has become a tradition. So now the Geek Out Dinner has translated to our show with Real Blend, um, which was kind of what we did in San Francisco the night before Pixar. But like Tom Hanks, for example, for Elvis from Memphis, we did a Geek Out session before that. So it's become a Real Blend thing now, too. But to Jake's point, it was really special to be able to sit there with him in person, to shake his hand, to talk about what he was uh, sitting Indy next to a fedora and a whip. Yeah. He was yeah. sitting he next it. to it like like in any other interview with Harrison Ford, if he had said the word fedora, you'd be like, dude, he kind right. of brought up Indiana Jones in my interview. Like you <laughs> right. would kill for it. So, and so Jake, Jake brings up a good point. Like you, you have to think about this. So we've interviewed Harrison Ford multiple times over the years. But like we before we got him before this, we got him for 1923. And this is a great example of a four minute interview you have for a TV show. But at the same time, the new indie trailer had just dropped and we were like, how do you not bring up Indiana Jones to him in a 1923 interview? But when you're sitting across from Harrison Ford for an indie film and the fedora and the, and the whip are sitting right to the right of him, you have free. Like when I did Force Awakens um, for Star Wars Force Awakens, I hadn't seen the film. So I just went into that room and just did it as if I was talking to him for New Hope and Return of the Jedi and, and Empire mm. Strikes Back. And then you just dive into all the things you want to know. How do you do the carbonite scene? What was it like walking on the Falcon again with uh, Chewie and difference between then and now? Um, and so it was a really cool thing. So I just shout out like, you know, to our friendship because Jake and I, we take it very seriously. We landed, we did it. And the next morning we did it. We ran over our questions again. We rewrote them. I mean, we rewrite our questions a million times. And then Jake and I are in this hallway, right? Waiting for these interviews to start. You have to imagine it's still crazy to see Harrison Ford walk through a hallway. It just really is. And then and so th this was when a really he walks, cool he puts one leg in front of the other. Sure. Yeah. yeah. These are the rumors. Yeah. Now, people are probably wondering if they've, they've gotten to this stage in the interview and they might be saying to themselves now, Sean, why didn't you go? Um, <laughs> Never once crossed my mind, if I'm being honest yeah, with you. Sean, how come you weren't there for this uh, geek out dinner and this opportunity? This once in a lifetime opportunity to interview Harrison Ford um, mm. solo, one on one. Uh, yeah, where were you? For an Indiana Jones movie, right? Because you listen to these guys talk about it and it truly sounds like it's something magnificent, historic, even, I would mm. almost say. Um, and the reason I yeah. didn't get to well, go. There's your is, answer. Yeah, the, I, the reason I, I truly the reason I didn't get to go is because I wasn't invited. 
So uh, that's it. <laughs> that's actually not that's actually not accurate um, because our current producer Jeff Macab Macab um, he so so again a little more behind the scenes stuff Cinema Blend <laughs> uh, as an outlet gets invited to so many things and they have L.A. correspondents. So Sean's in North Carolina. And so like, you know, Jeff is out in L.A. So when something like this comes up and Sean can't travel, they have correspondents on the ground and people who can actually go. So Jeff, not only did Jeff get this interview, Jeff did two interviews with Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones, one for AMC and one for Cinema Blend. They were both six minutes each. And he got Harrison with James Mangold and he got Harrison with... Phoebe Waller Bridge. You guys so, think you're special, but Jeff did him twice. Jeff got it <laughs> twice. And I'll tell you, um, let me so, tell you how many times that I got to do him. Close your eyes. What do you see? <laughs> Nothing. I see yeah. <laughs> zero. Um, it was almost no, like this time when Kevin was, asked him for a picture on his birthday. Oh, no. no <laughs> the greatest God. story ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, honestly, but the thing forward. is, is that like, like as great as, as crazy as that story is, uh, a testament to the fact that, you know, one of my favorite quotes is is a, a Tom Hanks interview that, that goes viral every three months or so. Uh, the phrase, this too shall pass. Mm, um, you know, if you're feeling super low in your life, you're feeling like you, you can't figure it out, you don't have the answers, this too shall pass. You feel like you, you, you got the world uh, in, your, in the palm of your hand, you know all the answers, you got everything figured out, this too shall pass. Uh, do this job long enough. Every ebb becomes a flow. Every flow becomes an ebb. Oh, yeah. Kevin has a great story about how on his birthday, Harrison Ford shut him <laughs> down for a picture. And yet he also has because, you know, an ebb became a flow. He also has a great picture with Harrison Ford. Right. Gonna, goes, with enough time. See, my favorite Tom Hanks quote is we make this shit up, guys. That's my we favorite make one. this shit up. <laughs> and, and, right. and, and for, in Ford's defense. So what they're telling a story about is the movie 42. There, I think that I remember the day being a little delayed and, and, and Ford wasn't mean about it. It was actually like the publicist stepped in and said, we don't like we don't have time. But it was a, it was a it was my birthday. So I kind of said, hey, it's my and birthday. It, was, also, it didn't help. We were all like, dude, totally. Yeah, you totally got to ask him. It's your birthday. Of course he's going to say yes. But I, but dude, I like Jake but, said. But, 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 so that yeah. that day I was putting together um, uh, a 50th birthday video for my dad I think I spent like four months getting different actors to like shout out to my dad and people were doing like really long, like like Matt Damon and Schwarzenegger and all these guys did like really great because you have to imagine like with my folks it's got to be really big actors for them to know who it is like I can't get sure. like Mads, Mads Mikkelsen to do it for my dad my dad you know so I got Harrison Ford. And so I got all these great actors doing these really great messages for my dad. And then it cuts to Harrison Ford and he just goes, happy birthday, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, that's so perfectly that's Harrison it. That's Ford. him. That's so him. Yeah. So, and, and honestly, I, I, I do got to say, and I know we got to wrap up. Harrison Ford was so nice to Jake and I yesterday. Yes. And, uh, he's actually always been very cool, very respectful. Um, he's just Harrison Ford. He, like we fan out because we're nerding out about and mythologizing these characters of his. Uh, but in all honesty, like, you know, he's nice. an actor who takes on characters. He doesn't get 
you know, built up like we do about Han Solo, who shot first, all these things. So you got to approach Harrison Ford. He's 80 something years old. So you got to approach him from a level of an actor and his craft. I think Hanks is the same way. Hanks is a very craft driven actor who likes to talk about craft and little details about performance. And uh, and so, yeah, shout out to Harrison Ford. He's, you know, in all honesty, over the years, like he's been a very respectful, nice yeah. guy. Well, um, someone tweeted me yesterday it. asking, like, hey, is Harrison Ford a jerk in person? And I go, no, like he doesn't no. suffer fools. But if yeah. like I've never felt like he wasn't being as respectful to me as, you know, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, whenever like our interview was over, I kind of ended with just sort of a, like just kind of telling him what Indy meant to me and did it without being overly sentimental because you don't want to scare him away. But like he said some very nice things whenever whenever it was over. And, and I'll, I'll always appreciate that. Well, listen, I got to go see uh, Kingdom of the Crystal, whatever it's called. What's Jeez, you haven't one? even seen it yet. No Dial wonder you didn't Destiny? get invited. I got to go. The, yeah. Dial, dial of Destiny, Destiny, the dial bar of soap uh, shared by <laughs> Destiny's Child. Uh, so here's your call out. This is what I want you guys to, to give us in the comments down below. In honor of the fact that Real Blend went to Pixar, I want you guys to tell me which Pixar character do you associate with the Real Blend boys? If you had to pick Ooh. a Pixar character that matches. Sean, the you're Real definitely that receptionist from Monsters, Inc. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Mike Wazowski. I have a feeling I'm going to get a lot of uh, the dude from Up. <laughs> oh I feel my, like I'm going to get a lot of Carl's. I feel like people are going to give me the dog from Up. Oh, that's possible. I could yeah. see that. Yeah. So well, get creative, people. <laughs> Tell us. Um, am, I the, am I the fire from Inside Out? You wish you were the fire from Inside Out. Wait, there's you a guys fire from Inside the Out? Fire. No, no, yeah, oh, the, the, the angry f- person. Yeah, the angry guy. Yeah. I don't want to hear what you guys think. Which Pixar character do you associate with the Roblin boys? Let us know in the comments down below. In the meantime, follow us on social media. We are at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And at Real Blend, we have some really exciting interviews in the hopper. Some we can't talk about some that aren't in confirmed just yet. But our from oh, the, Hopper's another uh, one. Hopper's from a bug's life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. That was that was a that was a mistake. We'll see you guys next week. Barbie, the man who moved the earth. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.